Enjoy all your favorite sports like never before at BetMGM. Signing up and playing is so easy. Simply sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. When you register with BetMGM, you can get instant access to a variety of parlay selection features, live betting options, and the best daily promotions in the business. And with BetMGM at your fingertips, every play and every game matter more than ever. Place your money line, prop, and parlay bets with the king of sports books today. Sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets. If you don't win your first bet, that's right, up to $1,500. Again, sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. BetMGM and Game Sense remind you to play responsibly. 21 plus in President Ohio, subject to eligibility requirements. Rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER in partnership with MGM Northfield Park. That's 1-800-GAMBLER. Xfinity has free premium networks for everyone this month, no matter what kind of entertainment you love. Addicted to true crime? Catch killer cases and more spine-tingling shows on A&E Crime Central. Crave adventure? Explore Asian action movies on Hayah. Searching for something extreme? Check out skating, snowboarding, and more on Fuel TV Plus, the global home of action sports. And find crowd-pleasing bops on iHeartRadio's Hit Nation playlist. There's new free shows and movies to love every week. Say free this week in your Xfinity voice remote. Me. Focus Features presents Back to Black. I want people to hear my voice and just forget their troubles. Experience the music and her story. Know this. I ain't no spy girl. Like never before. That's my daughter. That's my Amy. On the big screen. I want to be remembered. For just being me. Amy Winehouse. Back to Black. Directed by Sam Taylor Johnson. Rated R. Under 17. Not a minute without parent. Only in theaters May 17th. Welcome to part two of conviviality. What is it? What are people thinking about it? How is this funky Latin word changing and evolving and turning into an entire movement? And how is it affecting other movements? Last time we spoke about the idea of conviviality, you know, which is essentially good vibes, fun happy, chill, cool uh, interactions between people, you know, living well together and enjoying life in the company of others, making sure people are included and welcomed so they can relax and have a great experience. We spoke about the illest multi-hyphenate that is Ivan Illich. Uh, We spoke about the philosophical foundations uh, that are being built around conviviality and what those implications have been on metaphysics and philosophical anthropology and epistemology and more. And so now we're going to get into the actual movement. So the first manifesto was published by the Center for Global Cooperation Research in 2014. It discusses some of our current threats, including global warming and its consequences, ecosystem degradation, nuclear disaster risk, resource scarcity, poverty, wealth disparities, political disintegration, interstate conflicts, terrorism, insecurity, criminal networks, influences, speculative finance and politics, blah, 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 blah. You know, you know the drill. If you're in this space, everything sucks. It could happen here. That's the name of the show, etc. <laughs> Um, <laughs> the central challenge is that we could drive ourselves to extinction right now if we don't turn this car around and we could take most of the world with us. This particular manifesto is just asking four basic 
questions and their considerations and what we should consider about them, right? For one, the moral question. What may individuals legitimately aspire to and where must they draw the line? And the manifesto answers with considering that every individual has a legitimate aspiration to be treated with equal dignity, to have access to the necessary material conditions for their vision of a good life while considering others' perspectives, and participate meaningfully in political life and decision-making. However, individuals must also avoid exceeding bounds and succumbing to this infantile desire for power and control which jeopardizes social cohesion and the principle of common humanity. What that means is that we need to actively be combating corruption, um, refusing to engage in actions that compromise personal values for personal gain, um, opposing the corruption of others to the extent of one's abilities and courage, um, fighting hierarchy. I mean, the manifesto doesn't say anything about fights and hierarchy, which I think is a fault to the manifesto. But I think for an anarchist reading it, the implications are pretty clear. And that's what I have to do with a lot of the stuff I read, you know, like read between the lines and pick up the points that the author missed. And so that's the, the moral consideration, right? What should we aspire to? Where must we draw the line? We aspire to being treated with equal dignity, having access to decision-making power, uh, having a good life, by having access to material conditions met and we try to avoid exceeding boundaries our social boundaries and we should try to avoid exceeding social boundaries related to hierarchy and control and power the second question is political it asks us which are the legitimate political communities so the manifesto argues that the establishment of a single world state in the near future is unlikely and political organization will continue to be based on a plurality of states. And that, I think, demonstrates the limitations of this manifesto's imagination of convivialism. That's what happens when you have this clearly radical idea and you try to squeeze the radical idea into a fundamentally unradical and status quo idea as nation states. Um, but let me not excessively editorialize. I'm just presenting this movement and what its proponents have been arguing, right? According to their perspective, states and political institutions are considered legitimate only if they uphold principles such as common humanity, common sociality, individuation, and managed conflict. To me, that's wishful thinking, but I digress. Legitimate yeah. states and it pains me to even say this but again i'm just communicating <laughs> i'm just communicating what the manifesto argues the legitimate states extend rights beyond civil and political rights to encompass economic social cultural and environmental rights they ensure a minimum income for the poorest citizens while also implementing a maximum income to prevent excessive wealth accumulation Legitimate states maintain a balance between private, common, collective, and public goods and promote associational activities within a global civil society. They view digital networks as tools, as tools for democratization and treat them as commons, fostering openness, free access, impartiality, and sharing. And they also revive the tradition of public service and prioritize the pres preservation of existing common goods while promoting the development of new common goods for the benefit of humanity. 
again, it goes without saying, I take issue with this investment in states. I think a lot of their goals are noble. Uh, if not, if they were not so tied down by this investment in this state structure. Um, because from an anarchist perspective, uh, many of these ideas are not compatible with the structure of a state. And even theoretically, even hypothetically, if a state were to implement all of these changes, uh, where people had full participatory uh, involvement in decision-making, where the where the hierarchies were flattened and where everyone had free access and open access and there were commons and all this la-di-da. Some anarchists, not every, but some anarchists wouldn't even consider that to be a state anymore. But let's just get into the weeds of anarchist discourse and we're moving on. Enjoy all your favorite sports like never before at BetMGM. Signing up and playing is so easy. Simply sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. When you register with BetMGM, you can get instant access to a variety of parlay selection features, live betting options, and the best daily promotions in the business. And with BetMGM at your fingertips, every play and every game matter more than ever. Place your money line, prop, and parlay bets with the king of sports books today. Sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets. If you don't win your first bet. That's right, up to $1,500. Again, sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. BetMGM and GameSense remind you to play responsibly. 21 plus in President Ohio, subject to eligibility requirements. Rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER in partnership with MGM Northfield Park. That's 1-800-GAMBLER. Xfinity has free premium networks for everyone this month, no matter what kind of entertainment you love. Addicted to true crime? Catch killer cases and more spine-tingling shows on A&E Crime Central. Crave adventure? Explore Asian action movies on Hayah. Searching for something extreme? Check out skating, snowboarding, and more on Fuel TV Plus, the global home of action sports. And find crowd-pleasing bops on iHeartRadio's Hit Nation playlist. There's new free shows and movies to love every week. Say free this week in your Xfinity voice remote. Me. Focus Features presents Back to Black. I want people to hear my voice and just forget their troubles. Experience the music and her story. Know this. I ain't no Spice Girl. Like never before. That's my daughter. That's my Amy. On the big screen. I want to be remembered. For just being me. Amy Winehouse, Back to Black, directed by Sam Taylor Johnson. Rated R, under 17, not a minute without parent. Only in theaters May 17th. Um, the third question that the manifesto asks is an ecological question, which is what we may take from nature, and which is what we must take from nature, which is what we may take from nature, and what we must give back. And the manifesto asks us to consider that human beings should no longer see themselves as owners and masters of nature, but rather as interconnected with it, right? To ensure ecological justice and preserve a well-managed natural heritage for future generations, humans must establish a relationship with nature based on giving back as much or more than they take. The manifesto argues that 
the level of material prosperity that can be sustainably extended to the entire planet is roughly comparable to the average wealth of the wealthiest countries in the 1970s, and that wealthier nations must bear the responsibility to reduce their demand on nature relative to 1970s standards, even as they maintain their current quality of life. Priorities of this manifesto include reducing CO2 emissions, emphasizing renewable energy sources, over nuclear and fossil fuels, and shifting away from viewing animals as mere resources for industry. The principles of gift and interdependence should thus guide relationships with animals and the earth as a whole. Lastly, the first manifesto leaves us with an economic question, which is how much material wealth we may we produce and how should we go about producing it if we are to remain true to the answers given to the moral, political, and ecological questions. Manifesto asks us to consider that there is no proven connection between monetary or material wealth and happiness, which promotes the need then to explore alternative forms of prosperity beyond economic growth. As you can see earlier on, we're making those connections to the idea of degrowth. More on that later. And so this calls for a plural economy that balances the market, the public sector, and social solidarity economy based on the nature of goods and services involved. Again, their perspective, but while the market and profitability are legitimate, they must align with principles of common humanity, social cohesion, and ecological considerations. And by addressing the Issues of the financial economy, such as rentierism and speculation through strict regulation, oversight, market restrictions, and the elimination of tax havens, humanity can tap into a broader spectrum of riches beyond economic and material wealth, including the fulfillment derived from duty, solidarity, enjoyment, and creativity in various domains. Which, of course, highlights the importance of creativity and meaningful relationships with others as an essential component of a prosperous society even if not materially or monetarily prosperous. The manifesto goes on to define convivialism, the term that they use to describe all those elements and existing systems of belief that help us identify principles for enabling human beings simultaneously to compete and cooperate with one another with a shared concern to safeguard the world and the full knowledge that we form part of that world and that its natural resources are finite. When it comes to convivialism, it's crucial for us to hold on certain principles that can guide us in managing conflict, prioritizing cooperation while being mindful of the limitations posed by scarce resources, recognizing respect and alternative viewpoints and doctrines, opening the door to engage in dialogue and praise diverse perspectives and being open to questioning and growth. All of that this manifesto sees as essential to the idea of convivialism. It even goes on to propose convivialist policies, right? You know, the minimum and maximum income, protecting natural resources through uh, various reforms and um, regulations, tackling unemployment, promoting reduced working hours, supporting the growth of the associationist economy. Of course, I feel that's where the manifesto falls short. But I do appreciate um, the, some of the ideas that it introduces or that it expounds upon. I may not appreciate all of the answers to the questions that itself that it raises, but I appreciate it raising those questions 
even if I might have slightly different answers to them. The thesis of this manifesto seems to be that a different kind of world is not just possible, but crucial and urgently necessary. I don't like that it doesn't call out capitalism sufficiently or <laughs> really at all. Yeah, it seems to have an overly cozy relationship with the state too, which is <laughs> yeah, yeah, not the not greatest. Cool. Not cool. They do say, um, quote, there will clearly be as many perhaps conflicting permutations of convivialism as there are of Buddhism, Islam, Christianity, Judaism, liberalism, socialism, communism, etc. Not least because convivialism in no way invalidates these. So, fair enough, in a sense, I appreciate that they can accept that their uh, particular interpretation is not the only one that there can be. I'm sure by this particular passage, they mean that there will be socialist orientations of convivialism and liberal orientations of convivialism and Christian orientations of convivialism and et cetera, because they don't see convivialism as incompatible with any of them. I think I might take some issue with, I guess, not refining convivialism further. I appreciate that they themselves didn't refine it because, you know, they're clearly quite liberal, but I think that contributism as an idea is something that needs to be uh, distilled further uh, because when you have this sort of free-for-all, everybody and everything goes uh, approach to the ideology, I think it opens up a lot of room for states and corporations and NGOs to kind of slip in there and be like, oh, look at us. We are going to add convivialism to our constitution and that kind of thing it's like then they go and everyone applauds and like wow xyz government just added convivialism to their constitution three cheers for them and then the government just continues doing what it usually was doing before yeah. it added convivialism to its constitution <laughs> you know it's like with with the whole um i spoke about it in my buen vivir uh podcast episode um, yeah it's kind of like a situation with yasuni ict right Ecuadorian government was like, we are going to protect this forest. We're not going to drill for oil in this forest, even though it has a bunch of oil in this forest. Over $6 billion worth of oil in this forest. We're just going to ask the international community for like $3.6 of that oil. And once you all pay that, we're not going to drill the oil. And we want to set this precedent for other countries to follow and yada, yada. And we added when Vivir to our constitution and all that cash money, right? But then they got like $200 million worth of pledges. And then they were like, actually, no, we're still going to do it, even though we didn't get all the money. And then a year later, they're like, nah, we're not going to do it anymore. And then a couple of years after that, they started drilling <laughs> in the um, national park. And then a couple of years after that, yeah, <laughs> they started drilling even further, even closer yeah. to indigenous territories within the park. So, you know, um, let's not get caught up in the fluffy woods of states and corporations. And yeah, there was right? a, there was a, there's a version of this that happened in Bolivia where they, they did like a very similar thing. And then within half a decade, uh, like riot police were storming the offices of like, of one of the giant, like indigenous confederations. So it's, you know, yeah. Uh, yeah. I mean, keep in mind a lot of what states do, a lot of politicians too, is just PR. Yeah. Right. And I think a lot of people are able to recognize that when it's happening in their own country, but due to, 
ignorance perhaps of other countries they see a politician doing the same thing in another country and they're like wow why can't we be more like them and it's like well yeah to be fair you know there are politicians and governments that are doing better than other politicians and governments and i'm not gonna like blind my eye to that but yeah you know at the end of the day they're, <laughs> they're still politicians they're still governments they're still doing their PR, putting out their best image, putting out their best foot forward to hold on to whatever power they have. Yeah, well, and with, with both Ecuador and Bolivia, too, it's like, well, okay, if, if you want your politicians to have PR like that, like, uh, you too can block every single road in your country and start starving your capital out. Like, <laughs> this is a... <laughs> Yeah, yeah. <laughs> these these you know, po- po- politicians do not descend from the heavens. They are the product of uh, a combination of material conditions and social forces. So get better social forces. <laughs> exactly, exactly. That's that's the um. <laughs> that's our elevator pitch for anarchism, by the way. Enjoy all your favorite sports like never before at BetMGM. Signing up and playing is so easy. Simply sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. When you register with BetMGM, you can get instant access to a variety of parlay selection features, live betting options, and the best daily promotions in the business. And with BetMGM at your fingertips, every play and every game matter more than ever. Place your money line, prop, and parlay bets with a king of sports books today. Sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets. If you don't win your first bet, that's right, up to $1,500. Again, sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. BetMGM and GameSense remind you to play responsibly. 21 plus in President Ohio, subject to eligibility requirements. Rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER in partnership with MGM Northfield Park. That's 1-800-GAMBLER. Xfinity has free premium networks for everyone this month, no matter what kind of entertainment you love. Addicted to true crime? Catch killer cases and more spine-tingling shows on A&E Crime Central. Crave adventure? Explore Asian action movies on Hayah. Searching for something extreme? Check out skating, snowboarding, and more on Fuel TV Plus, the global home of action sports. And find crowd-pleasing bops on iHeartRadio's Hit Nation playlist. There's new free shows and movies to love every week. Say free this week in your Xfinity voice remote. Focus Features presents Back to Black. I want people to hear my voice and just forget their troubles. Experience the music and her story. Know this. I ain't no Spice Girl. Like never before. That's my daughter. That's my Amy. On the big screen. I want to be remembered. For just being me. Amy Winehouse. Back to Black. Directed by Sam Taylor Johnson. Rated R. Under 17. Not a minute without parent. Only in theaters May 17th. But I did say there were two manifestos, right? So what about the second manifesto, right? Convivialist Manifesto number two. Published by the Convivialist International in 2020. Ooh, recent. And they define uh, convivialism as a comprehensive philosophy that encompasses humanist, civic, and political principles aimed at fostering harmonious coexistence in the modern era emphasizing the importance of living together and outlining normative principles to guide that endeavor. 
Second Manifesto of Convivialism emphasizes the need for a new political philosophy to challenge neoliberalism and address global issues. Pause. This idea of, um, this is something that you see a lot, particularly in that sort of NGO space, right? A lot of not radical organizations and movements will speak about challenging neoliberalism. And you could usually tell because they specify neoliberalism, they don't say capitalism. They're not anti-capitalist, they're just anti-neoliberalism, which in itself is not a radical because neoliberalism in itself is just a recent permutation of capitalism. Yeah, and, and um, I, I should point out, like, <laughs> there, as bad as neoliberalism is, like, there are forms of capitalism that are worse than it. So, well, yeah, yeah, of you course. know, see, course. see, uh, uh, as evidence, World War Two. Uh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I just want, I just want to put that on the record just for all. To note, the, yeah, yeah, yeah. But just, um, just for the sake of uh, people's own ability to scrutinize information and scrutinize movements it's an interesting trick of the language because by rallying against neoliberalism they're able to like bring in a lot of the anti-capitalist people into the mix and draw from that crowd but a lot of these movements are not themselves anti-capitalist um and you know if you want something more than a nicer capitalism that is something to keep in mind even if you were, and even if, you know, you take part in the movement, um, nothing wrong with that. Still, something to keep in mind. Uh, so the second manifesto, it also highlights the interconnectedness of young people's concerns about climate change and environmental degradation. Uh, talks about the struggles of those seeking freedom from dictatorships or those being forced to migrate. Um, and it aims to offer an alternative vision for a post-neoliberal world by promoting shared values and a sense of agency. Furious intellectuals, activists, writers, and artists are all committed to this collective project with the aim of creating this globally shared vision for the future that is more inclusive and more participatory. The manifesto, the second manifesto, like the first one, uh, talks about um, the post-World War II growth in principles like human rights um, and the shift in capitalism towards speculative and rentier practices. Uh, talks about the decline of liberal democracies and the rise of illiberal democratures. <laughs> and it also speaks about resentment growing from past colonial domination and radical movements, including Al-Qaeda, reflecting that animosity. Again, like the previous uh, manifesto, it talks about ecological threats like global warming and air pollution, uh, oceanic pollution, accumulation of plastic waste, nuclear disasters, weakening ecosystems, rise in unemployment, job displacement, wealth inequality, uh, lack of regulation for transnational companies, political fragmentation, terrorism, all that fun stuff. And this time, the second manifesto uh, outlines five principles to form the basis of policies or ethics or organizational actions, right? Common naturality, common humanity, common sociality, legitimate individuation, and creative opposition. These principles emphasize one, 
the interconnectedness of humans with nature, two, the importance of respecting the shared humanity of all individuals, three, the value of social relationships, four, the need for individuals to develop their individuality while respecting others, and five, the recognition of peaceful rivalry for the common good. These principles are meant to be guided uh, by the imperative of hubris control which promotes cooperation and prevents the desire for power and excess. The manifesto also emphasizes the importance of balancing these principles to avoid their potential negative consequences. One of the things that the manifesto is really trying to get at in particular, and the reason that it even uh, establishes this imperative uh, for hubris control is because it argues that ideologies focus primarily on satisfying material needs and overlook the crucial role of recognition and desire. And that by reducing politics to the fulfillment of needs, ideologies fail to address the problem of limiting the desire for power and control. To me, it just seems like um, the people who wrote this manifesto aren't familiar with anarchism and anarchism's centuries-long confrontation with power, control, and the desire for it that has altered the course of very various human societies. But I digress. Um, the manifesto instead points to religions as playing the historical role of trying to curb our desire for power and control. Um, that seems to me like a very poor argument considering the history of religion, but the point that the manifesto is trying to make is that modern democratic discourses struggle to restrain limitless desire and often reproduce the hubris that they aim to combat. And so the role of a contributist movement then should be in part on persuading individuals to renounce the desire for dominance and reinforce the principles of common humanity, sociality, naturality, individ uh, legitimate individuation, and creative opposition. Again, I don't think that the direction people are taking convivialism is radical enough because I think it leaves room for it to fall into existing structures. I mean, the manifesto even talks about creating a convivialist party to reignite hope in liberal democracy. Yeah, and, um, and I, I also want to just point out the sort of like... Uh, just how how weak of a position it is to you know have one of your goals be to just con to convince individual people to want less power like i i yeah. think that's just <laughs> just sort of boldly anti-structural as a, as a prescription yeah um but i mean i guess that's something that i've come to expect uh from certain milieus, right? A lack of engagement with uh, <laughs> structural domination and how structures inform how individuals behave. You know, like, yes, individuals act within structures, but I think people vastly underestimate structural incentives. Like, it's not just about, oh, if you get rid of this bad person from a position of power and put this good person in a position of power, then everything will be honky-dory. Like, nah, there's still, <laughs> there's still, like you still haven't confronted the way that that structure, that position incentivizes certain behavior. 
But like I said before, I'm an anarchist. I take what I like. I leave what I don't. Um, they also say in the manifesto that convivialism belongs to nobody. So I've decided that, you know, my version of convivialism is not going to be this watered down, watercress salad kind of pithy, weak, limp-wristed take on, you know, world-altering structural change. Lastly, um, I did want to touch on, because I did say I would, um, the significant role that conviviality has played in the degrowth movement, particularly highlighted in texts like Degrowth, a vocabulary for a new era. Um, inspired by Ivan's ideas, conviviality and degrowth has referred meaning to a society that values joyful sobriety, responsible consumption, and the use of limited tools that are emancipatory and responsive to human needs. The ideas that Ivan uh, outlined in Tools for Conviviality, which I spoke about in the first part of this two-parter, um, is considered part of the intellectual roots of degrowth as an idea itself. Um, and conviviality is often discussed in relation to technologies, including digital technologies, um, and how technologies suitable to a degrowth society must be convivial. One particular tool has been developed um, for self-assessment, political education, and research in line with convivial principles, and that is the Matrix for Convivial Technology, or MCT. And the Matrix for Convivial Technology is, to go with a very basic definition, um, a normative schema that fosters discussion concerning degrowth technologies in contexts of political education. The MCT is meant for us to reflect on the dimensions of uh, the materials we use in technologies and how we produce those technologies, how we use those technologies, how the technologies fit into the infrastructure, um, how accessible they are, um, how interactive they are with the environment, how adaptable they are in changing circumstances, and much more. How appropriate they are, and much more. But beyond the MCT, conviviality is also being used in the degrowth space to describe public spaces, goods, conservation movements, and even humans within degrowth literature. Transitioning to a convivial society is considered to be one of the core objectives of the degrowth movement, one of the core shifts that needs to take place for us, for us to degrow as a society. And so that's the long and short of it. Uh, the Convivialist Manifesto, Convivialism and Conviviality as ideas, how they've uh, changed and been adapted and how people have been building on the ideas therein uh, in the sphere of philosophy and politics and education and technology and more. Food for thought. I hope you appreciated this brief exploration. As I like to say at the end of my videos, and I consider it particularly apt here in the context of conviviality and convivial technologies, all power to all the people. Once again, you could find me, Andrew, on youtube.com slash andrewism and support me on patreon.com slash saint true 
And as usual, this has been It Could Happen Here, where things happen. We talk about stuff. <laughs> Peace. It Could Happen Here is a production of Cool Zone Media. For more podcasts from Cool Zone Media, visit our website, coolzonemedia.com, or check us out on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you listen to podcasts. You can find sources for It Could Happen Here updated monthly at coolzonemedia.com slash sources. Thanks for listening. Xfinity has free premium networks for everyone this month, no matter what kind of entertainment you love. Addicted to true crime? Catch killer cases and more spine-tingling shows on A&E Crime Central. Crave adventure? Explore Asian action movies on Hayah. Searching for something extreme? Check out skating, snowboarding, and more on Fuel TV Plus, the global home of action sports. And find crowd-pleasing bops on iHeartRadio's Hit Nation playlist. There's new free shows and movies to love every week. Say free this week in your Xfinity voice remote. Trinity School of Natural Health can help you be part of the fast-growing health and wellness industry. With an education that empowers communities, Trinity grads can change lives by applying natural health principles and techniques in holistic practices or stores selling nourishing health products. Offering 19 online programs that fit your busy schedule, you'll get training to help turn your passion into a career. Enroll today at trinityschool.org. That's trinityschool.org. Right here, right now. Find your beautiful new floor at Right Rug Flooring. Choose from thousands of in-stock styles ready for next day installation and all backed by the right price guarantee. Visit rightrug.com. That's R-I-T-E-R-U-G.com today to schedule a free in-home estimate or to find a location near you. 24-month financing is available with approved credit. For 90 years, we've been right here, right now. Right Rug Flooring.